Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joined today, she's a mental fitness coach, two-time Olympian co- assistant coach for Team Canada and motivational speaker. It's Shawnee Harley. How are you doing today, Shawnee? I am so awesome and I am ready to roll. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? I actually grew up in Campbell River, British Columbia, Canada, which is a small town on Vancouver Island. And I was involved in sport for as long as I could remember. Uh, My dad was a phys ed teacher and my mom was, um, you know, our family's biggest cheerleader and supporter, even though that she hadn't been involved in sport herself. So honestly, for as long as I can remember, I played every sport uh, throughout school. I love basketball, which if you saw me, you'd be like, Shawnee, that's a bad choice. You're five (laughs) foot five. I'm like, oh yeah, right. I forgot about that part. Um, And I got to play three years of um, university basketball. U.S. folks call it college basketball. I, I played that for three years in Canada. And then the best thing that ever happened to me was I got cut. And even though I thought my life was over, uh, it actually led me to where I am now. I always thought I was going to go to the Olympics as an athlete. Someone forgot to give me the memo that I wasn't quite at that level. (laughs) And then the cool thing is I still got to go to the Olympics, but I went as a coach. So that's the Coles Notes version. Did you kind of feel like an underdog when it came to basketball being only 5'5"? Always. I also, when I look back on it, I also think I had an underdog mentality because when I came out of high school, nobody knew me. I was from a small town, small school, like we had 70 people in our graduating class. And so when I showed up on the campus of this university, I just went into tryouts as a walk-on. I just, I saw a poster It's like, oh, basketball. I'm like, great. Sounds perfect. So I I think I always had that underdog mentality. And to be honest with you, it has really served me well, even later on in my life. I can definitely relate to that. As when I was growing up, a lot of people didn't really expect much out of me. They're like, always picking me last. They think, eh, he's not that good. But I always call myself a wild card when it Mm. comes to playing sports where Once I get on the field or on the court, you don't know what you're going to get out of me. And I kind of showcase my skills and people are like, oh, he's actually that good. And I kind of like that because people underestimate me and it just makes me want to perform at a very high level, even if it's recreational or even if it was when I was playing like rec leagues or um, club ball, baseball. Baseball was definitely the one sport that I played where that kind of mentality came about. So I kind of like that underdog story because I can relate to that a lot. Well, it brings out, um, I think, I think what it is, is that when we don't have, we can't rely just on our talent. Yeah. Like we, it, 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 we have to, to poke into something else. And, you know, I think about like these competitive juices, you know, and this, this fire and this will to win. And because you know, I was always a small fish in a big pond that 
piece served me well. I was competitive and I had fire and that helped make up for some of the skill that I was missing. Outside of sports, growing up in a small town with a small school, is there something that you learned about yourself going through that experience? Well, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is I wasn't as good as I thought I was. <laughs> like, because, you know, in my small town, I was the I was the big fish in the small pond. Yeah. Like, I was the best in all of the sports, you know, I won the athlete of the year award all the time. And I'm like, damn, that was easy. Look <laughs> at me. Like I'm freaking rocking it. And then, you know, I go to university slash college and I'm like, Oh, Oh, this is what the big girls are doing. And I think looking back on it, um, it served me well in my small town to, have the confidence and the proof and evidence that I was pretty good. I think where it hurt me was it didn't help me prepare for -hmm. becoming the small fish in the big pond. As you were getting into basketball, was there any athletes that you kind of were inspired by or like a team that you enjoyed watching or just wanting to be like that athlete? Well, I, re- I remember, um, I remember growing up, I remember asking for Christmas one time, a subscription to Sports Illustrated for kids. Okay. I mean, you can tell I'm dating myself, right? I mean, like nobody <laughs> orders magazines anymore. And I all can, I just always remember uh, cutting out the pictures in the magazine and sticking them up on my wall. And, you know, those were the days where, um, you know, Michael Jordan and Larry Bird and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and there was no WNBA Mm -hmm. at that time. And so it was really hard to find female role models. Um, But I did happen to, the team that I followed was actually the same team where I went as a walk-on. Wow. And they were they were the most successful program in Canada. And they were they had just won a national championship. The the they had won that in March, and it was that September that I decided that was the team that I should try out for. <laughs> so that was the team I followed. And then I followed the athletes that appeared in my Sports Illustrated for Kids magazine. Is there something that when you're looking at that team that you ended up playing or trying out for with Canada, is there a moment that you remember that kind of was like, I think I'm going in the right path. Like basketball was the right decision to continue to try and play as you got older. I don't think I had enough self-awareness to even have that thought. I, it was more along I wanted to play on the best team because remember, I thought I was pretty good. Yeah. And so the best team just happened to be about four hours away from my small hometown. And I still remember watching them on um, our sports network here, TSN. So it's the equivalent of ESPN. I still remember watching them in that championship game. I still remember the head coach stomping out onto the floor, being so pissed off at the officials 
<laughs> and getting a technical foul right on. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Like that's like just everything about it. I thought that's the team I want to play on. I never had a thought that maybe I wasn't good enough because I didn't have enough exposure to mm-hmm. know that you just watch it on TV and you think, Oh shoot. Yeah, I can do that. Um, so again, when we're, when we're that age, I think our self-awareness and our emotional intelligence is pretty low. What would you say is your basketball style? As a player? As a player. Well, I kind of only knew one way, right? It's what we talked about earlier. I, um, I wasn't very big and my, my offensive skills were pretty average at best. <laughs> And I, I'm like, okay, well, I better find something else to be good at. And I'm like, I'm just going to dog the ball. Like, I'm just whoever has the ball, I'm going to do everything I can to make their life miserable. And that was how I, again, trying to make up for, because once I got there, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I cannot compete on the offensive end. So I became the best defender that I could become. Was basketball always that kind of career path or did you kind of have a different career path in your mind as you were getting older? We're always asked, what's that dream job that we're wanting? What was that for you? It's so interesting, you know, because I mean, remember I, I played everything and I was actually a better, I played fast pitch uh, softball. Okay. And I was actually a much better softball player. Like when I look back on it, I was a much better softball player. I was a leadoff hitter as a center fielder. I had a great arm. Um, I was really good at stealing bases. I was pretty fast. And I have no idea why I loved uh, whatever it was. I, I loved basketball more. I had some opportunities for softball coming out of high school and I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? I'm going to play <laughs> basketball at the defending national champion. That's the team I'm going to. So, you know, it's 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 interesting, right? Where life kind of takes you with its with its twists and turns. And yet, when I look back on it, I think if I had followed the softball route, I don't know what would happen. It's hard to predict, but I'm pretty sure I would never have gone to the Olympics following the quote wrong sport for me athletically turned out to be the perfect decision because it became the right sport for me to become a career coach. Especially with the Olympics is with Canada. I mean, there's so many amazing athletes that there's so many people trying to get those minimal amount of spots on those teams. So it's very interesting. If you did go the softball route, what would be happening? Would you have gone to the Olympics? Would you make Team Canada? Or would you go into that professional side and continue going with softball? So I was going to ask you, what if you could do it all over, would you have gone with softball instead of basketball? But you kind of answered that already. Yeah, I um, I think at the time, you know, you you make the decision in the best that you, best way that you can. And I, I don't have any, I don't have any woulda, coulda, shoulda. 
I just look back on it and I'm like, wow, isn't it great that I had so many sports in my life that when I graduated from high school, I actually had a choice. You know, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I don't think one decision was better or worse than another. I, I just love it that my basketball decision got me to the Olympics on a way different path than I would have ever, ever imagined. Looking at that next stage in your college journey, what's something that challenged you during that time? Oh my goodness. How long do we have? <laughs> as uh, long as you need. Oh, freaking! You know what? Everything. Again, like I look back on that time and I'm like, oh my goodness. I just didn't know. I didn't know anything. I mean, I was young and I look at that age group and I, I was think I was so into myself and I remember, I remember my biggest challenge was sitting on the bench. You remember I told you that yep. I was a little fish, big pond. I come to the, I'm like, Oh boy, I'm in trouble. And I was, you know, what we call a 30, 30 player. You play when you're up 30 or down 30. <laughs> and I found that really hard. I didn't have any preparation for it because in high school, I was the star, you mm-hmm. know, in the little town. And so I had no experience with sitting on the bench. I remember so much being in the woe is me. This isn't fair. Can't anyone see how hard I work? Uh, I did not handle that situation well at all. I was, I was whiny and I think I had a quite a bad attitude. I mean, you wouldn't have known that during the game, but in my heart, I was not, I was not happy. I blamed my coach. I blamed my team. I I blamed everybody except being able to look at myself and say, you know what, Shawnee, the bench is probably the right spot for you. So be the best bench sitter that you can. And when your name gets called fricking letter rip, whether it's for 30 seconds, three minutes or 12 minutes. And I did not do that. And that, when I look back, that, that challenged me every day because I was resentful all the time. Did you feel that you would end up losing the passion for basketball with not playing as much as you wanted to? I did lose it. I I did lose uh, the passion. I actually, uh, after my third year, I decided that I just, I'd lost the passion for everything because when you're at that age, you're really invested in a sport when basketball is not going well, neither is anything else in your life. I mean, that's yep. how it was for me when basketball is going great. Life is going great. And I told you why basketball wasn't going well. And I actually just said, I, I need a break. And I, I left, I left school and I left basketball and I took a year just to clear my head and get away because the thing that I had loved for all of my life, I was no longer loving it. So I left for a year and uh, that was actually a really good decision because I was very unhappy and I wasn't a good team person. When you have unhappy people, they're, they're not contributors, they're contaminators. And I probably was becoming a contaminator. So it was good that I left. Did you have any support system like during the times that you were struggling with not playing that you were able to talk to them 
or were like the only people that you could talk to were the people on the team, but that would still bring up bad, like kind of vibes because they're always playing and you weren't playing. Yeah. I don't remember any uh, support system. And I mean, the good thing, like, again, so every, with every bad, there's a good, right. It's, I wasn't playing as much as I wanted to, but I was really well liked on mm-hmm. the team, right? I was the, I was always the underdog. I was, I was the Rudy, so to speak, you know, small town, blah, blah, blah. And when we would travel, like everybody wanted me to be, you know, to be their roommate when we would travel on the road, they wanted. So that was, that was really good for me because when I reflect back on it, that was showing me that made that they respected me and liked me, even if I was a bench player, that that was a that was a really good piece for me. Um, I, you got to remind me of what your question was. The support system. Did you have? Yeah, no, no, because you wouldn't. Talk, I would never talk about those things with my teammates that I was unhappy and resentful and et cetera, et cetera. I I I remember saying I didn't want anyone to know that I was feeling that way. Um, the only people that I talked to were my parents and my parents were just, they're just fantastic. And they never, they never pressured me to stay. They never made me feel guilty about not playing. They, they were just very, very good listeners. They had empathy and not sympathy. Those are two different things. And when I made the decision to step away, they're like, great. That's, if basketball is not making you happy, then go try something else. So thank goodness when I said I didn't have a support system, that is incorrect. I had my, my mom and dad were, my mom and dad were fantastic. I think a lot of people can definitely relate to what you were going through with anything that they're going through, something that they're super passionate about. And if it kind of doesn't go in that direction that they're wanting, taking that break away from it and kind of doing something else. And then possibly like, as we're going to get into next is where you kind of went back to basketball in a different capacity, but taking a break, find something else, and then see if you can go back to it in a different way. I think I've done that before. I think even with friendships in a way, sometimes you got to take that break away from them and then give it some time. And then you never know it could come back or you're perfectly fine the way you are. I think people can take that concept that you're talking about in different avenues in their lives. I think that's a great point. I think of it like, um, like being stuck in the mud yeah, and you have mud all over your goggles and you keep crawling, you know, but the mud keeps staying on your goggles. It's like, you have to get out of the mud, get sprayed with a fire hose, get all the mud off. You get all the mud off your goggles so that you can actually see clearly again, because I remember that feeling of not being able to see clearly, not being able to think clearly and just trudging away one more day, one foot in front of the other, because that's what sport teaches us. Yep. And it wasn't working. And I really am glad that I stepped away. And I'm really grateful that my parents supported that decision. After you stepped away, what was next for you? Well, after stepping away, 
I remember thinking, what, so I wasn't doing school, I wasn't doing basketball. I remember thinking, I don't remember the last time I had this much time. Like, <laughs> I, it, it just, I'm like, no wonder I've been stuck in the mud. Like you're in the grind, right? The, it's just the grind. It felt like the grind one day after another, after another. And when I stepped away, it was very, it felt freeing to get out of the grind and to start doing other things that help make my heart sing. And, you know, long story short, I, I did end up going back to school and it didn't feel like a grind anymore because I, I had the fire hose that got all of the mud off of my goggles and I was able to look at things differently and more clearly. And that's, that was the, you know, that I did when I first stepped away, I remembered saying, I'm never going back. Right. You're in that little resentment, all that kind of thing. I remembered thinking that. And then the step away, I think it comes back to what you said. It helps us maybe get some of our clarity back. It helps us sort our thoughts and our feelings out. And that was really good for me because that helped direct me to where I was going to go next. When you went back to school, was that temptation there to go back into basketball or you, you kind of had that power where you knew what you needed to get done and you weren't going to let that stop you? Well, interesting question. <laughs> when I went back, I, I went and tried out again and I got cut and it, it didn't bother me as much as it, you know, it, it, I was like, okay, I, I tried it. Like I, I gave one more kick at it and I'm still not good enough. And it was like, okay. So I was able to look at it more rationally. I'm like, okay, good to know. And then the coach that cut me, she was the one that said, have you ever thought about pursuing coaching? Okay. And so this was the coach that I hated, remember? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because she didn't let me have any playing time, blah, 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 all the woe is me stories. And I think the other cool part of the story is it's really great when somebody sees something in you that you don't see in yourself. If I hadn't gone back that next time to try, I don't know if I would have gone into coaching. I don't know if I could have thought of it. She, the one who cut me was said, have you ever thought about coaching? So again, we look at life, you know, there's always two sides of this coin. Uh, You know, I got cut and look what it led me to. If I hadn't gone back, I don't think I would have gone into coaching. It's very interesting to look back and think about if this did, like the segues that each step took you and how, if you didn't have that one piece, what direction would be next? Because you wouldn't have been an Olympic coach and things like that. So I always look back and I think if I didn't do this, like I used the pandemic as a situation, I wouldn't have the show if the pandemic didn't happen. And Mm. so I think the pandemic 
was a great opportunity to find something new in me because I was furloughed. So I was, I was out of a job for a few months, but it brought me something that I can elevate my skills, learn new, meet amazing people like yourself. And it's been so rewarding. And so like you talked about getting cut brought you something that you found a new passion for in coaching that took you a long way and developed you into who you are today. So it's just amazing to look back at those kind of things and think, wow, I can't believe this is the direction now. I think you bring up a really interesting point of something I didn't know then, which I do now, and I teach this to all of my clients is what are you going to do if you don't get what you want? Mm-hmm. And we're not taught that very well. And we're not taught how to handle it because the reality is sport is a gamble. Life is a gamble. Work is a gamble. Relationships are a gamble. All that means is the the outcome is not guaranteed. Yep. But we don't, I never remembered looking at this is what I want and this is what I'm going to get. And then when I didn't get it, I'm devastated. I, th- I think there's something to be said about life, sport, work, relationships. What do we do when we don't get what we want? Yes. That's a really darn important question because you know what? The way life works, and I'll tell you for sure the way sport works, way more often you don't get what you want. I call it in my, in my coaching, <laughs> I call it happy and crappy. <laughs> and you're going to get a dose of both. And in sport, you get way more crappy than you do happy because there's only one winner. Yep. Looking at your journey as a coach, a big, one of the big accomplishments you had was being on the Olympic stage. When you're traveling with the team and being a part of that journey, how is that feeling for you on that big stage representing your country? in a coaching capacity, but that's still huge also because you are playing a big part on that team. I, I can't even describe it. It's, it's, I, I still remember, I still remember standing our first game at the Olympics in 2016 and they do the announcements and the introductions and we're all lined up on the court before the game and they play our national anthem and we're standing and looking at the flag and I'm singing. Oh my goodness. I can still feel that. <laughs> and I remember getting so emotional. I had to stop singing. I, I, I couldn't, I I was just like, I'm here. Like, I did it. We did it. Do you know how hard it is to get to the Olympics? I mean, it's, and then that, and then I'm telling you the path that I took there. Yep. And it just, everything flooded over me. I was like, wow, look at this small town girl standing here in front of the flag at the Olympics in Rio, it, it was, it was, it was unbelievable. And very 
very clear on every day saying to myself, Shawnee, don't you dare take this for granted. And every day I went to, I made a point. I want to have an experience in the Olympics. That's not about me and not about this basketball team. Like I would go trade pins with people from countries I'd never even heard of because I wanted to make a point to smell the roses Yep. because I was, I knew that not very many people get that chance to smell the Olympic roses. And I wanted to really be mindful to never take that experience for granted. How was the experience in Rio as someone as outsiders, we always hear stories about what goes on at with coaches, players, things like that, their experience in kind of the city life. How was that for you? Did you kind of enjoy Rio and kind of learn more? Have you been to Rio before that experience? I've been to Brazil a couple of times with our national team. You know, that's you're all over the world with your with these uh, national teams. I hadn't been to Rio specifically. And I think every time that I've traveled, I just, again, I always think, my goodness, we, we live in the greatest country in the world. You know, I, when we're in Rio, we experienced, we drove every day to our venue past the slums and watching, seeing traffic lined up for hours and water problems and sewer problems and all the problems that come with a third world. And I think that's one of the great things about traveling and, and being at the Olympics is it's when you have this mindfulness to take it all in, experience all of it. My goodness, does it ever increase the appreciation for the lifestyle that we get to have in North America? So you were in the 2016, did you go to the 2021 or was it the year before? Let's see, I'm going to date myself. I knew you're going to ask me that. No, it was 1996. Okay. In Atlanta. That's when I was just a young pup. Um, Those were my first Olympics was in Atlanta. Uh, Just kind of getting into my coaching career. I kind of got lucky uh, being named to that staff. And again, so a very different experience, right? It was in a first world country. Um, I was young and I don't think I smelled the roses as well as I did when I was at the 2016 Olympics. What was the experience of the team? How did the team perform from the uh, earlier 96 and then the 2016 ones? Well, such, you know, such different uh, expectations in 20 or in 1996, I would say it was more of an attitude of just happy to be there. Like Canada hadn't qualified when we qualified in 96, it had been like three, I don't know, 12, 15 years since Canada had qualified. So um, we were away big time underdogs. So we had nothing to lose and we came in with expectations that I think were about right, which was low. And then in 2016, we were the fifth ranked team in the world coming into those Olympics. So you can see what a different mindset Mm -hmm. you're coming in thinking 
we have a chance. We have a we have an outside chance at a medal. So the you can see the different pressures that are coming, right? The and in '96, no one even had cell phones. Yep, that's true. Like I can still remember in '96, I can remember one payphone where we were staying in the village, and the lineup went for. I don't know. And I remember standing in that line, waiting my turn to get to the payphone to call my parents. Take 2016. You can't blink your eyelashes without somebody tweeting about it or <laughs> posting it on Instagram, whatever. So the pressure on our team in um, 2016 was huge. And we, we had a, Really great preliminary round. Got all the way to the quarterfinals, which means you win that game. You're playing for a medal. And it didn't go well. We underperformed in that game. And when you're not prepared for pressure, pressure's going to squish you like a little bug. Yep. And we didn't handle the pressure. We weren't prepared for that pressure, we ended up losing that game and devastation is the only word that I can use to describe it. As a coach, a lot of times you're the one that's kind of motivating or giving those pep talks to your players, but you're not the one that's being the player on the court. Was it hard watching your team not perform at the level during that quarterfinal match and there's nothing you can do, but you try to keep them positive, keep them motivated to still stay focused and try to play. Because in basketball, it can turn around quickly and it can change the whole atmosphere of the game. Oh, gosh. Yes, I remember it well. Um, it was a sickening feeling because I could feel the tide changing. I could feel the momentum shifting. I felt the outcome starting to slip away. And it was sickening because I felt so helpless. I I wanted to save them. And I couldn't. You can't, right? You're you can't go out on the court. Uh it it was a very It took me a long time to come out of the darkness after that game ended. It hit me so deeply in my heart and my soul. And I went into a real darkness for a while after that because of what we're talking about. It's, it's not just disappointing for me. It's like your whole team. Like we had, we had women on our team that have dedicated their life to that, that have been playing on this team for 16 years and have sacrificed. Like, I can't tell you how big the sacrifices are at that level. And I was so sad for them. And then you also feel like you let your country down. And I was sad for our country. And yeah, that was, that was a very, very dark. But sometimes the darkness leads to a wonderful light. 
And that's what yeah. ended up happening for me. I think when you share that story as people that watch it and they're so passionate about supporting their team and we we know that the players, the coaches, they work so hard and some events happen one, like one time. And if that player, I mean, even on the Olympics now, um, we have a USA skier. She didn't do her best. Michaela Schifrin. I and, watched it. And you just see that she was worked so hard to get oh to, and then those two runs, I think she missed a gate and then a disqualification and then she's completely out. And right. her boyfriend had posted a tweet and kind of trying to cheer her back up, but you know, that she it's hurting her inside and you just see the support of the whole world coming behind her. And I think that it, it's, it just shares that unless you're in that position, you don't know what's going on in through those minds. So it's very um, honorable that you're open about it to share that with me. And it just shows that, like you just said, that it opens up a door to something, a positive light, and you learn from that experience. Yes. And it comes back to what I had said earlier where I have so much empathy for these athletes that are competing on the world stage right now in the Olympics is, do you remember how I said earlier about, I think mental toughness is yep. figuring out what to do when you don't get what you want. Yep. You look at these Olympics, the majority of those athletes are going to leave without getting what they want. And Michaela Schifrin, like I watched her second run, like she, the third gate, boom, done. Yep. And then they show her just sitting there. Like she can't even believe it just happened. And I thought, and I remembered thinking, I wonder what she's going to do with this. She didn't get what she wanted. And you, you her whole life is dedicated. It's, it's a singular focus. I remember watching her sitting on the snow thinking to myself, I wonder what she's going to do with all of these incredibly deep and painful thoughts, feelings, and emotions. I don't know if you heard, but um, I was uh, on LinkedIn and there was the Canadian ice skater, figure skater uh, for the men's program. And he came in as an alternate um, and he had to perform 24 hours after he arrived and he didn't do great. And people were like talking bad about him, but then all of a sudden you just see the change in people's attitudes and they learned more about what really was going on. And you just see that support system. And I feel the Olympics has such, even all over the world, as I'm from the United States, but I feel supporting that guy because you don't want him to go home and feel bad. You want to be there and support everyone because the Olympics is all about a fun experience. And it's, it's like, why do we want to bring these people down? I mean, they work so hard. They should be happy that they're playing at that um, big, the biggest stage of them all. We, you know, as the, the general public, we don't see the day to day, you know, the grind, the grind is real. And a lot of these athletes, they get spotlighted once every four years. They never hear about them. Like nobody knew about this Canadian skater. 
yeah. till the Olympics. And yet he's, he's the Canadian champion. No one ever heard of him till he comes to the Olympics. And then he doesn't do well. And, and we go right into judgment about it. And I think, I think it's one of the things that's good that the Olympics does is I think it helps brings out the stories yep. so that we can remember these. They're not robots. They're people. And they have lives just like we do. They have families. They have joys. They have sorrows. They have, you know, triumphs. They have defeats. And their, their hearts are tender. Mm-hmm. And they're, when they get blasted on social media, I can tell you it, it really hurts their feelings. And I know that sounds cheesy. I don't know I don't how else to say it. But I really think it's important that we remember that these are people with real emotions. And you remember I told you the darkness that I went into after Rio. Yep. I know there's going to be athletes going into darkness. And I think to myself, I hope that if they go in there, it's it's a disappointment as opposed to they go into the darkness because all of the judgment that they had to handle on social media. I just, it's it, it, social media is just such a killer sometimes with how people act. And if the social media wasn't a thing, it would be a completely different, like the 96 games, there was no social media. So knowing that you didn't have to worry about or seeing people, you only had to see things that were probably in a paper or in a magazine or in a publication. That's about it. But it's not at the extreme of someone's tweeting every second. And you're on the court performing or doing your thing. And now you have to see everything. As a mental fitness coach, what's the biggest thing you're trying to accomplish with your clients? Well, the biggest thing that I help them do is stop lying to themselves. Okay. Because sport teaches us to lie to ourselves all the time. Yep. Because we're trying to we're trying to please. We're trying to prove ourselves. We're trying to be perfect. And sports famous, you know, just get out there and be confident. You got this. Right. All of this, fake it till you make it. And, you know, what I've learned with the hundreds of clients that I've worked with is that if you want to stand on the podium, you're not getting there by faking it. Correct. So we work on three three of my favorite F words, fake, <laughs> fear, feel. And we, we don't, I'm like, you're not, if you're going to work with me, you can't hide because faking is hiding. If you're going to work with me, you can't avoid your fear because that's also hiding. And if you're going to work with me, you can't pretend that you don't have negative feelings because that is also hiding. Mm -hmm. So we're going to speak the truth and we're going to put the truth right out on the table because the truth will set you free. When I help athletes look at their deepest fears, there's a freedom there because when you can look at the thing that you fear the most and then know deep in your heart that you're going to be okay. If that thing happens, 
you're not as fearful of it. Comes back to what we were talking about before. What's going to happen if you don't get what you want? We talk about that. It's called paradoxical thinking. It's the ability to hold two contrasting thoughts simultaneously. I might get what I want. I might not. Sport is a gamble. If you want a guarantee, go do some. I don't know. I don't know where there's a guarantee in life, but there sure as heck isn't in sport. And I help them look at the other side of what's going to happen if you don't get what you want. Let's look at it so then we don't have to fear it. When we can help fear go down by speaking the truth, there's a freedom. There's another F word. There's a freedom that comes because I'm not trying to prove myself anymore. I'm not trying to be perfect. I'm not trying to please all of the noise out there. I'm here to show up as the best version of myself. And I'm going to do that, win, lose, or draw. So I work on the opposite of fear for me. What we work on the opposite of fear is courage. And Brene Brown said, you can be brave and afraid at the same time. That's paradoxical thinking. Mm -hmm. Two contrasting thoughts. And often when clients come to me, they want me to improve their confidence. I'm like, oh, don't hire me for that. (laughs) Nope. Because confidence is an emotion based on results. If you're not good at something, you're not going to be confident. Hello. So how about, or they'll be like, you know what? I'm just going to try my new thing when I feel confident. I'm like, you're going to wait a long time. So let's do courage. You can have a feeling. I don't feel confident. I feel uncertain. I feel nervous. I feel scared. I feel afraid. And choose a brave action. Those two things can happen simultaneously. And so I tell athletes, we're going to talk about your fear, your feelings. We're going to face them because they are normal. So let's normalize it. Come out from behind yourself. Stop faking it. Stop hiding. Authentically show up. And let's choose courage. That's the gist of what I teach. And it sounds wonderful. It's simple, but not easy. But it's, they've never, they've never thought about it in that way. And when they get it, results, I I can't tell you how quickly they shift. They're like, thank you for letting me get, for showing me how to get out of jail. Because they all feel like they're in jail. I think there's so many people that are listening to this interview that are going to use those three Fs that you mentioned and think, I need that. I'm doing those things. I'm faking it. I'm fear. And, oh man, feel, feel, I need to do those three things. I was thinking freedom. I'm like, that was the fourth one that she mentioned. (laughs) And I think growing up, I definitely, in my time, I think a lot of people are trying to put a facade on and kind of wanting to put themselves out there. That's not truly authentic. And a lot of times you can tell it's fake. 
because it just doesn't seem natural. And I've grown up where I had that and I had to think about what I'm fearing and make those changes and just go for it. Like, don't be fearing or fearful and stuff. Try those things because after I did those, I'm like, wow, I can do these things or, and, and even when you mentioned the confidence, it's kind of like a change in mentality for me where I'm mentally stronger instead of, oh, I'm confident because no one's a hundred percent confident things at a certain, at right off the bat, because I think if you're so good right at the beginning, you're at this high, then you hit that low point and you're like, oh, everything's just falling down because I was so perfect right off the bat. And I think I always look at, and you mentioned that become the best version of yourself. I grew up uh, in a fraternity and our tagline was become the greatest version of yourself. And I use that all the time because there's always something I can improve each day. There's a skill I can always improve and I just want to grow as much as I can. I believe that courage is a muscle. It's like a muscle. It gets bigger when we use it. Yep. And there's this wonderful quote. I, I forget where I heard it, but I, I use it in my, um, my coaching. It says, without fear, there can be no courage. And so I teach my clients. I said, you know what? What if you looked at fear as a gift? You get to practice your courage muscles. Yeah. And when we work on them, muscles grow. And when we can practice, I think there's something to be said for the opposite of avoiding is tolerating. If we can, if we can learn to tolerate discomfort, tolerate our fear, our nerves, our anxiety, our disappointment, our sadness, et cetera, et cetera. When we can learn to tolerate them, sit in them, have a feeling. They're called feelings because we're supposed to feel them. Huh, what a concept. (laughs) But that means all of them. We don't get to pick and choose. So if we can learn to sit and tolerate this discomfort and the discomfort of how it feels when we don't get what we want, isn't it interesting? We keep coming back to that. But if we can learn to tolerate that, again, our tolerance grows then we can shift and we can choose courage. And when we practice doing this, it's a skill. Our courage grows. I think that is the most fascinating. I never knew that when I was an athlete. No one ever told me any of this stuff. When I show athletes that you can, you can emerge from this darkness, you can get that mud off of your goggles. Mm-hmm. You can learn to tolerate. Remember, we, I said before, happy and crappy. You can figure out that crappy is normal. So let's learn how to tolerate it instead of trying to avoid it. Let's tolerate it. Let's manage it. And then let's choose courage. And the more we do this and we keep practicing this, our tolerance grows, our courage grows. As a motivational speaker, do you have a favorite gig that you got? or had like a memorable speech that you gave? Hmm. 
Well, I would say for sure it was definitely pre-COVID when I was able to do them in person. Yes. You know, there's, you just can't, you can't replace that feeling uh, when you connect with an audience. You know, you, you can feel the vibe. It's hard to feel the vibes as much when you're on a, <laughs> a Zoom call. And then half the time, the people don't have their cameras on. Yep, exactly. And I'm like, oh, they're probably on their phone. And then I'm like, oh, maybe not. Maybe they're just in their pajamas. Anyway, <laughs> um, I cannot give you a specific one, but I can say pre-COVID had a magic to it that doesn't feel quite the same when we have had to go to have, have everything be virtual. I can definitely, yes. Especially, and I can take that from work meetings, like doing them on Zoom or video chat, you kind of don't get that interaction feeling. Like you said, everyone's distracted because they can turn their camera off and then they're on their phones and no one's paying attention. But when you're in that boardroom kind of vibe or in the same office, you get that interaction. It feels more personal and stuff. So I can definitely agree that those in-person events make a huge because you can look at that person, get that connection, hit those emotions, and they can get that reaction from what you're talking about. Do you kind of give them like the story that you've been sharing or do you kind of target what are the needs of those speeches that you're giving? Usually when I do them, I, 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 I want to cater to the audience. I've, one of my favorite topics is when I'm, uh, I get to share that my story of the small town girl, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I get to sit in front of an audience and, you know, of teenagers. And I'll say to them, do you know that I was just like you? I was just like you, except without a cell phone. <laughs> uh, there's something, I think there's something in the story for athletes to go, you know what? I don't have to be the strongest. I don't have to be the best athlete. I don't have to be the tallest. There's a path for me. And I think I get, I, I know I get a lot of enjoyment out of those kinds of opportunities because when we're young, we're impressionable and, you know, you, you have to see it to be it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for young athletes to say, what do I do if I'm not the best on the team? What do I do if I sit on the bench? What if I do if I'm not the most skilled to be able to say, hey, that was me. Yep. And there is still a path for you to become the greatest version of yourself. I love it. I mean, I think the best stories are those where it's the underdog story. Like, I think a lot of us, have maybe have a hard time admitting that we're the underdog, but I use it as not a title, but use that as a kind of energy to say, you can do anything. And I think I can relate that even now in my career uh, where I get a lot of back or um, what's the word kind of, I'll eventually figure out the word, but my age plays a big factor um, in what I do. But I get these opportunities where people are double my age, but they're asking me for what do you do? VPs, presidents. And it's just like, 
age doesn't. It's just those people trust because I'm here. I've been asked to come into these, this role and do these things. And I want to be there. I want to help. And I think you have to look at that person and the experience they have and what they've gone through because they can give you a lot of knowledge and that you can relate. And I think a lot of people listening to this, they're going to relate to what you're saying, what you've gone through, and maybe how I've connected to your story also. And they're going to be able to relate like I have. Isn't it this journey, you know, that we're on that's called life is, is becoming, right? I think it's a journey of becoming. And I really liked your phrase, becoming the greatest version of ourself. I, I think it's a windy, twisty journey. And I think sometimes we take the wrong road and sometimes we drive off the side of the cliff. And I think that's part of it. Yeah. I, I think the imperfect, the imperfect part of the journey is as important as the other. And I, I really think that that's why sport is so difficult for so many young athletes is they're all trying to be the best. And I'm like, there's only one. Yep. There's only one leading scorer on this basketball team. There's only one skier at this race. That's going to get the gold. There's only one. So what the heck are the rest of you going to do? Sit there and whine and cry. Like I did for three years back in my college story, when I sat on the bench, heck no. Like the greatest version of yourself is waiting for you to discover it. So freaking put your runners on and start walking or start jogging because that journey is about becoming. It's not about sitting and whining and crying about what you didn't get. Yep. So what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years, personally and professionally? I, speaking of journeys, (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, this is going to sound corny and I don't care. Uh, I really believe I've been called. I've been called to serve. And I know that my coaching helps people build a toolkit that changes their life forever. And I know I've been called to help them build that toolkit. So when I look at the future, I want to serve 10,000 people a year. And if you said how I'm like, I don't know, (laughs) right. The journey, the journey, there's something, there's always something around the next corner. I don't know, but I'm going to keep walking. Sometimes I'll jog. I'm going to keep walking along this path and figure out what this, what does it mean to serve 10,000 people? Yep. But I know I can't keep this to myself because it's a game changer. And that feels like sometimes like I'm laying in bed at night and I can't even get to sleep. And then sometimes It'll be like three in the morning and I wake up and I have to pee. And I'm like, damn it. I hate that because I know I'm not going to get back to sleep. (laughs) 
because I can't wait to wake up the next morning and start serving. You know, back in the day when I was a, a, a coach, a career coach, I was awake at night all of the time, but it was about anxiety and nerves <laughs> and fear of losing. And, oh my goodness, I have to recruit. And, and I could, I couldn't sleep very well. And now I, I love it. Like I wake up in the night and I'm like, oh my goodness, I can't wait to wake up in the morning. <laughs> and that's, I, I, again, I, I want to be mindful that I get to be at this place in the journey because the road has been arduous at times to get here and I haven't arrived and I, I hope I don't, I, I want to continue journeying. The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Well, if you're going to overcome obstacles, you have to live with the fact that they're going to be obstacles. So don't try to avoid them, right? I, I, there, I, I forget where I heard this um, quote from, but I thought it was a good one. Um, what's in the way is the way. And so often we try to go around. I'm a fan of going through because the obstacles are always there to show us something, right? I mean, that's what we've been talking about from the very get-go. I think that everything that we face in life brings us information. Yep. And if we will have a mind of curiosity about the obstacles, there's information that helps us know what to do about the obstacles. What was the second question? Uh, Overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge. Yeah. Uh, Here's what I say about goals. I don't like them. (laughs) I'll tell you why. I just think we have so many words that are just so fluffy. And I don't even think we know what they mean to be truthful. I mean, what I do with our clients, I don't, I don't talk about goals. I talk about commitments and I talk about three words, be, do, have, be willing to do what it takes to have what you want. So figure out what you want, figure out what you have to do to get it, then make commitments and find a way to hold yourself accountable. So that's my version of goals. What was the third part? Rise to the challenge. Oh, that's courage. That's courage. Because rise to the challenge sounds so wonderful. But if somebody says, how do I do that? Like, I think we have to move from the, from the what to the how. Mm-hmm. how. How do I do that? I'm like, oh, yeah. That's, you, you put on your big girl pants, your big boy pants, and that's called courage. Yep. Brave and afraid at the same time. That's, that's how we rise, is we become courageous. Because without fear, there can be no courage. I love each part and breaking it down. Cause when you talked about the first part, overcoming obstacles, and it's going to sound very simple, but think about an inflatable course. You can just walk off to the side and just walk to the end, but that's no fun going through those challenges, those obstacles and saying, I just did this. 
I feel accomplished because I went through it. It's just that you get more of a feeling out of it than going that simple route and kind of just, eh, I'm not going to try. You got to go through it because you learn something new about yourself. And I love going through those obstacles because I find a new skill, a new thing about me that I never maybe knew that I had in, in me. It's a really good point because we're, we're building and revealing our character all the time. Yep. So what character gets built when we go through what character gets built when we go around? Cause it, you're, you're going to build character one way or the other. Yep. And I'm just a fan of, I, I know what happens when you go through the fire instead of around it. And that's the kind of character that I want to help my clients build. Well, Shawnee, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for guiding me. We had a little journey today and uh, thank you for leading me along our very enjoyable path today. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe to all major audio platforms, and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode and video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.